Hello, this is Ken Root. I've decided to change the name of this podcast to People in the Know. Everyone I interview has something important and informative to say, so I believe they are in the know, so that's what I'm going to call it. This week, I'm talking with Russ Green. He spent his first career in the farm machinery industry, and now he's reinventing himself to be a coach and a mentor for young people who want to learn how to lead in farming, in business, and in life. I think you'll find him dynamic and inspiring. People in the Know is sponsored by Concept by Iowa Hearing. I've worn their hearing instruments for almost 20 years. Concept by Iowa Hearing, committed to helping you hear better. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. Hello everyone, my guest is Russ Green. We've talked with him before from his background in the ag machinery industry, which is amazing going back to the mid-1970s. But there's a lot more to him than just that career, although just that career would have been amazing to anyone. And Russ, we're glad to have you on with us today. Uh, where are you now and uh, what's up in your world? Well, Ken, I'm, I'm joining you from a really sunny bluegrass in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm just off the road from uh, three strong weeks. Uh, I spent a, I spent three days in the nation's capital. I happened to be there when Mike uh, Johnson was uh, elected as our new Speaker of the House. I was traveling with AED at that time and making a, a policy trip. But then I attended the FFA event, the convention in Indianapolis. Uh, and then just last week, the AFA event in uh, Kansas City, an AFA standing for Ag Futures of America. I, I refer to that collegiate group as FFA students on steroids. Well, they're the college level. And uh, when they put that into place after the FFA pulled out of Kansas City, there were some that doubted it would go. But they brought in a man by the name of Russ Weathers, who really, I think, helped to put it on the map and make it where it was not competitive with FFA. I think that was the biggest challenge people had at the beginning, but AFA, I think just takes these kids, as you say, to another level. Well, and, and they, you can imagine that the FFA is now pushing 950,000 students will be a million. There'll be a million students in FFA next year. Now, when these students, and we need them to go in multiple directions, they, some will go into the trades industry, some will go back into production agriculture, but those that want to go on to a four-year institution and, and further their career to move into roles in agriculture, there's a pathway for all of them. And, and AFA signed a memo of understanding with the FFA last Friday evening, and it's just to work in parallel. And not, you know, do more in concert with each other instead of adversity with each other. And I think the the current uh, Mark Stewart, current uh, executive advisor of AFA and uh, Scott Stump, uh, executive director of FFA, great continuity. And I think you'll see uh, common pathways moving forward. It's, it's, it's uh, a good synergy. Russ, your background in the ag machinery industry uh goes back to you uh, kicking off with uh, Case New Holland, what the name is now, and then moving over to Kloss and Agco. And uh, I think you touched a little bit with Kubota. And you got a glimpse, you got a ringside seat, if not a participant in the ring of the, 
of the quarter century that ran from the mid-70s to 2000. And you also have a view backward, as many of us do, past that to all the way, perhaps to the whole 20th century. When you look at the technologies that have come forward in farming, which ones do you think really played the biggest role in modernizing the industry? Oh, that's a, that's a deep question. You know, my love affairs with combines, and you touch upon it, whether it's with developing the first axial flow combine or taking that love affair even as far as the cloths and, and, and agco. Harvesting is the time of year that I enjoy the most, and I, and I work to develop uh, projects and, and products in the harvesting world. And, uh, you know, we go through an era when we, 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 we talk about the second machine age moving from industrialization now to digitization. And I think the digitization of information and then the application of that information to, for decision making, I think that's the biggest pivot right now. We're moving towards an industry of, of data and data management. Of course, the combine can become that data collection device besides putting grain in the bin and grain in the tank and, and, and being that celebration of harvest. It also captures the yield results and, and problems in fields. And those results are then driven into the, the, the data of the following season with the, the planting and population control and density, maybe even hybrid selection. Uh, they're just, how do we apply what we now know and, and what we gain? And those applications are not always the same. We, I mean, we have aerial application now of, uh, of fungicides and herbicides control in a manner where your machines don't have to go over the field. Uh, regenerative practice, sustainability, all of those things are, are, are words in our vocabulary today in agriculture. And we do have to keep the planet not only in the condition it's in now, but improve the conditions in. So I think that's agriculture will play a large role in that and, and the control of greenhouse gas and, and carbon sequestration. So I cover a lot of topics there, but it really comes down to sustainability. And I think sustainability is two words, happiness and security. And if you're happy doing what you're doing, if you're happy getting a 220 bushel yield out of your field, you're going to keep doing that. And in the security of doing that, if you can do that and maintain the quality of your soil and, the, and the, the cleanliness of the air and the purity of the water, that's secure. And we talk about financial security, mental security, health security. Those those two words, security and happiness, run parallel for me in, in the understanding of sustainability. But cut you a lot of things there. But I love to harvest, love the harvest time with combines, but we're moving into a digital world. I find it uh, challenging sometimes to explain modern agriculture to people who don't have a grasp of it. And about the best way I've been able to do it lately is to say, you have a small garden and you have packets of seed and you want to plant those seeds just the best you can, certain depth, one at a time. And then you take care of that in a manner that you monitor it all the time, all the way until it's harvested and then with harvest, you take care and you bring out the crop. I tell them that people in agriculture today can do the exact same thing at an industrial scale, meaning you can plant, in effect, one seed at a time in exactly the right place, exactly the right depth. You can monitor it and keep it healthy all the way through the seasons, and then you can harvest it 
And that control can be on thousands of acres because of the technology that we've introduced. What do you think of that? Ken, I think that's ex exceptionally well said. Exceptionally well said. Exactly right. Uh, you, you want knowledge and control. And now think of the next chapter. So of those seeds that you planted at exactly the right depth and exactly the right control, fed them with the exact right amount of moisture and maybe nutrient, at the end of the harvest, pick the top 5%. And those are the only ones that get planted next year. So you have technology and, and, and gene control and, and gene editing so that we're each year doing the best with the best. And, and it's the best of the best that survive and then become the, the next gene pool. But that is a great analogy. And it allows someone uh, in, in, her, in her senior life, uh, she wasn't much of a gardener when I married her, but my wife has become quite a gardener. And the amount of time that she spends studying and, and taking into account uh, AI, I, sometimes, you know, some people call it artificial intelligence. I call it automated intelligence because we're pulling it from many sources. But now you only go back with the best of your seeds and plant them next year, maybe a little further apart because you found out that that's the best way for them to be fertile and, and blossom. But that's that's a great analogy. Russ, I want to thank you for the career you had and what all you did in the farm machinery business, and uh, we could tell stories all day about it. But as we move forward, you have, are a man who's known for your ability to make strategic progress. And I wonder, with your uh, company that started with the names of your three grandchildren initially, uh, what you have been doing lately, and how do you think that will benefit future generations in agriculture? Well, I... I have a passion for teaching. As you know, Ken, I started my career teaching and coaching. I'll end my career teaching and coaching. Unlike you, I'm not a good fisherman, even though I've done it a lot. I don't play golf very well. My wife won't let me buy a boat. So my hobby is giving back into the industry at multiple levels. Uh, I have more time than I do money. So I spend my time coaching uh, I'll say millennials, 28 to 38-year-olds, and trying to, first of all, understand where their problems are and keep them away from the problems or the, or the mistakes that I made in my career or in my life. And I find that refreshing. Uh, I have young people from Saskatchewan to, to Georgia, from Vermont to California. We meet on a phone call once a month, and we just talk about problems or we talk about issues. Uh, we'll talk about the farm bill. We'll talk about the literature we read. What books are we reading to professionally advance us? So, so that group, I, I've been doing that for a couple of years. We have about 18 members of McCabin, the next generation of ag leaders. And, uh, but I came to the conclusion that I don't want what I know or what I've learned to be go away with me. So in, in the midsummer months this year, Ken, I started to develop an executive leadership series, modules about different aspects that happen in the corporate boardroom. It could be diplomacy, it could be teamwork, it could be crisis management, project management, celebrating your victories. How, how do you how do you reward people and celebrate? I put those into a, a library of modules. I have 39 of them. I'll, I'll, I'll write one more. I said, I want to put those in a place where they have a runway. Or, or distance. So I teamed up with a, a, a close friend, 
Cameron Camfield of of the Stradivation Group in Ohio. And Cam was one of my my millennials in McCabin. And we come to become close friends. And Cam started a research marketing business. And he's going to be in business for generations going forward. So if I can put on his shelf these 40 experiences of leadership that I've had, we're putting it together what we call the Stradivation Leadership Academy. And we'll market that to corporations who have, you know, in the last three years, leadership has taken a turn. You know, I've talked to young employees that have never met face-to-face, touched the nose of their supervisor, their boss. Mm -hmm. It's all been virtual, remote. So it's created a different method of, of learning and leading than we've had in the past. You and I grew up rubbing shoulders with our colleagues at the water cooler and sitting in the boardroom together and 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 vetting ideas and, and pushing. You could tell by body language whether somebody listened to you or not. Well, today you don't get that experience, so it's different. So the Stradivation Leadership Academy will have elements and it's intended to be training over a period. It's not a one and done exercise. We'll we'll have we'll have self-directed virtual learning that takes place with the modules. Then we expect those learners too to come together in a workshop where we'll drive deeper the concepts between be behind each of those leadership modules. And more importantly, the follow-through, the follow-up. So many times people come to training and say, okay, sign the book, get the certificate, hang the plaque, go home. Well, who's coaching you to those aspects of the modules or of that leadership 90 days later right. or 120 days later? And Zoom and virtual marketing and virtual connectivity allows us to do that. So 90 days after the face-to-face -face workshop, our team will follow up and say, Ken, how have you applied what you learned? Put it into application in your workplace and show, show us how you're moving the needle. Well, Russ, I, I, I just haven't had time. I, I, I left and I had to get back into my, no, unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. If you don't apply it, you'll never, it'll never have traction. So 30 days later with same phone call as a group, how now, how are you applying? What are you learning from the modules? So there's a forgetting curve. If you get, if you get learning once, four weeks later, you probably remember 20% of it. If it's repeated a second time, you might remember 40% of it, a third. So there's a value in repetition. Having these modules on your Android phone or on your computer allows you to go back and refer to them. So I think it's the way to go. And now I'm gonna leverage that. And besides the pay for play corporate executives that will pie the leadership academy, I'm going to take it down to the collegiate level on a scholarship basis. So I'm signing up 20 students across 16 universities, and Cam and I are developing the Stradivation University. And we'll work in the same manner with young people that are still learning in a collegiate environment how to become leaders. Now, you can, you can learn the content of biology. You can learn the content of physics. You can learn the content of, of psychology. But how do you learn to be a leader and go into the marketplace and make an impact? So I ramble a bit, but those are the way I'm connecting the dots from McCabin to Stradivation Academy and the Stradivation University. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, are there widely used medications that can negatively impact our hearing? Great question, and yes, there are. There are over 200 prescribed 
or over-the-counter medications that can attribute to hearing loss. And, you know, when you're looking, when we're talking about, you know, medications, the average person over the age of seven or over the age of 55, excuse me, 72% of people over the age of uh, 55 take at least one drug and two thirds of all drug reaction, adverse drug reactions occur over the age of 60. So you're talking almost three quarters of the you know population over 55 take at least one drug or one medication. You know, we're talking simple drugs from an aspirin regimen. An aspirin regimen, and we're not talking baby aspirin, we're talking regular size aspirin. If you take an aspirin regimen um, five days a week or more, you have an increased risk of hearing loss by 26%. Um, some of the big ones are diuretics. So people that have uh, high blood pressure, kidney disease, um, like the myosin group, you know, erythromycin, vancomycin, that whole myosin group um, can attribute to hearing loss. Um, hydrocodone. Um, you know, um, Oxycontin, you know, um, Rush Limbaugh is the famous one for that because he, you know, got addicted to the Oxycontin and that caused his hearing loss. Then he had to get a cochlear implant. So, you know, and, and he was very honest at, you know, toward the end about what, you know, what caused that, um, chemotherapy drugs. So if anyone has gone through chemotherapy, chemotherapy wreaks havoc, not only on your body, but on your hearing as well. Um, you know, the little blue pill, little blue pill uh, can attribute to hearing loss. So there are, you know, many different, uh, you know, medications, whether they're over the counter prescribed um, that can attribute to hearing loss. So the best thing to do is, is, you know, get with your doctor and the pharmacist to find out what the side effects are. If there are other medications maybe where certain, um, certain side effects are less with one versus another. And it's just having that open dialogue you know, with your, with your providers to really understand, are there, you know, ramifications for the medications I'm taking? And sometimes there's just, you know, there, there's no other choice but to take the medication, just understanding um, that it can attribute to hearing loss and, and it's something you need to monitor. Thank you, Taylor. Schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing. You can reach them at 877-955-4020 or online at iowahearing.com. Russ, what about those people who are in the system, in the college ranks, but then they want to go back to the farm? Should they take these characteristics, or will they benefit from them if they apply them to their farming operation in the future? Certainly can. Certainly. And that's a great question as well, Ken, because, you know, no man or woman is an island. You know, when you go back to the farm, you're managing a million dollar factory and that factory has inputs and that factory has output and you have employment. You have to deal with people, you know, just like you and I deal with a doctor, dentist or lawyer as a farm operator, regardless of your size. Uh, you deal with other specialities. So there, there's always the communication necessary with you as a producer and, and your suppliers or you as a producer and your cl client that you, that you send and sell your product to. So uh, skills of organization, skills of leadership, skills of communication and problem solving and planning are, are essential and probably even as competitive as agriculture is today with narrowing margins and increasing costs. 
an, an increasing risk? How, how do you leverage your risk and, and minimize your risk with insured policies? How do you take advantage of the farm bill? I mean, I mean, you unwrite 800 pages of farm bill. How does that apply to the farm gate? And where, where are my commodities productive? What insurances do I need? How can I help my industry promote pork, promote, promote beef, the soy products? So, yeah, it's a yes, yes. I mean, you just... You may think it's a, a farming is a very lonely and isolated place, and it is when you're sitting on the planter. It is when you're sitting on the combine. But you know what the young people are doing today? The, the planter's running itself, the combine's running itself, and they're on their Android phone marketing their crop. Yes, I have to say that uh, I've made this comment to people for several years. If you're going to expand and grow your farming operation, one of the first things you have to do is get off the tractor. And that literally freezes those people like, well, that's what I love. You know, that's really what I want to do. And I said, well, I understand that. But if you are going to work at that level you wish to aspire to, you've got to be able to put your energy there. Although I see some people that do a pretty good job of auto steer and working <laughs> on the tractor like they're in the office in between turning around on the end of the rows just to flip it and make sure it goes. But I really do think that what you say is true, that they've, they've got to distinguish themselves as something else besides a good machinery operator. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing short or no, no exception for being connected and collaborative. And our digital technologies today allow you to be connected and collaborative. You can be talking with input providers and others at your you're testing theories and, and ideas with all the while. And I, I know we, we, we've gone now from, from the 30s, Ken, when 20% of, of Americans were in agriculture, I think on the farm, farm gate agriculture, to now less than 2%. You know, 1.8% of our population is actually can touch a farm gate, but 15% of our population delivers food. And I think we need to look at uh, agriculture and farming in, in a broader perspective, not only the production side uh, at the farm gate, but all the way, you know, the cotton guys talk about dirt to shirt, uh, the grain guys, you know, talk about, you know, gate to plate, you know, those things, it's, it's essential as, as we look at our food supply now, also is our health supply. You know, food is health, and we got to make sure that we're delivering a, a a healthy diet, an enriched diet, and that we're going away from some of the lazy standards of the 50s that have put our society into a diabetic state of mind and put our society into a high heart rate state of condition. How are we going to satisfy and, and and help remedy that with our dietary concerns and our and our health? I wanted to ask you something from your upbeat and forward-thinking, progressive point of view about the generations to come, the ones that we see today, millennials, as you speak of them, the Generation Z after them uh, that you see in the FFA organization now. What do you think of the work ethic of that group? Have they been, um, have they had us take away their desire to work by being given so much so young, or do you feel like these, they still have it in them to be as good or better than any generation that's been on earth yet? 
Uh, again, a classic question, a high-class question. I think we forget what our ultimate job is as human beings, and 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 that is to be a community. And the community starts at your own dinner table. And the the responsibility we have, if we raise children, and not everybody does, but if, if those of us who elect to raise children have a responsibility to be parents and to set examples. And one of those examples is a work ethic. And one of those examples is a is an educational ethic. Uh, be, besides being just a, a, a citizen that's contributing to society instead of taking from society, and we've become lazy parents. We've, we've let electronics do some of the things that we used to do physically with our children. And, and, and being involved with your children means more than just being the Saturday morning soccer coach and, and bringing the treats to practice. It means setting that example about teamwork and setting that example about how to, how to win and how to lose how to celebrate uh, the the victory you get just from competing and how to compete. So I, I, I my seven grandchildren spend plenty of time on electronics. There's no question about it, more than I ever did because they have the capacity that the electronics are there. But they also have to step away from that and be involved in you know, athletic activity, be involved in, in, in intellectual activity, uh, be in clubs, be in groups. And and I, that's incumbent upon us as parents. And if we don't do that, then we get the society that's raised by somebody else that's putting knowledge in their head from an electronic device. And we all always control that that electronic device is, is the healthy aspect. So uh, Ben Sass wrote a book, Senator Sass out of the Nebraska talked about the uh, uh, the responsibility of the adult, you know, and, and the, the expectations we have as parents. And I think that I look back and one of the one of the glories in life that I watch is watching my children be parents. And what did they learn from me or from Katie that they're applying in their lifestyle with their children and their morals? And if you don't have those, and we, you know as well as I do, Ken, we have so many families that are single parent families and uh, maybe the children are not being raised by the parent, but by the grandparent because the single parent has, you know, 50 hours of work a week. They, they just, they need that kind of uh, work style to, to uh, support their lifestyle. So there's no one simple answer, but I think, uh, I think parenthood has a lot to do with how your children are, are, are raised in an ethical manner. Russ Green, I always enjoy visiting with you in a wide range of subjects, but I'm most uh, intrigued by and pleased with what you're trying to do now and to, uh, uh, I won't call you being a YouTube for how to succeed, but I do think it is a uh, a manner by which that we can use the technology and we can use the relationships and you can bring these people together either literally or virtually and uh, get them on their way uh, and help them along as they're there uh, in a stage of life that's critical. So thank you for what you do and uh, have a happy holiday season. And thank you very much. You're a great friend. Thanks for listening to this episode of People in the Know. If you know of people who may fit my criteria for being interesting and informative, send me an email, kenroot at gmail.com. That's K-E-N-R-O-O-T at gmail.com. Have a great holiday, and thanks for listening.